Hi and welcome. This is High Point, the podcast of the acoustic consultancy Atelier Crescendo. At High Point, we talk about performance venues, public places, instruments, acoustics, and music in general. Hi Simon. Hi Kate. How are Hello. you? Hi. <laughs> Very well, thanks. Can I ask you to introduce yourselves? Kate, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm Kate McGeever and I'm the manager at Stratford Public Hall. Uh, I'm Simon Borkin and I'm the, well now, as of a few weeks ago, the chair of Stratford Public Hall. And what were you doing before? Are you full-time on Stratford Public Hall at the moment? Or yeah, so you? I'm full-time and I've uh, been at the hall for about five years now, over five years, I think. Okay. What were you doing before? Uh, I was the manager of a farm. Okay. So I was working on a farm. <laughs> Quite different. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe similar. <laughs> How about you, Simon? Uh, so I got involved in 2016, which was just as the Friends Group had uh, negotiated the transfer of the hall from the council into community ownership. So okay. the chair at the time, Anushka Dayton, uh, basically I... I yeah, I got involved through my my day job, which I worked at Co-ops UK, which is sort of trade body for co-ops and Stratford Public Hall. Um, got involved in a, a program, a government program called Community Economic Development. Um, and it was basically looking at how communities could have a greater stake in how neighbourhoods and localities could, um, gen- uh, I suppose, yeah, stimulate economic development. And I came to the hall not knowing much and then met Anushka and met Dan, another founding member, and Lisa. And then Anushka approached me and said, hey, do you want to come and join the board? And I sort of said, ah, oh, sounds quite interesting. And yeah, that's like seven years now. So Seven years? Yeah. And you don't just do that. You do, you've got other responsibilities as well, or you've got, you freelance for yeah, so, other so I suppose, bodies. Yeah, so we're the the organisation. So Friends of Stratford Public Hall is a what's called a charitable community benefit society, which is essentially like a member owned charity. So I'm a trustee, and typical of a, of a charity, the trustees it's a voluntary role. So okay. um, I suppose yeah, it's a. It's a I've always um, predominantly been worked with the hall in a, a voluntary basis, albeit I did spend a small amount of time i came off the board and was a sort of project organizer at the very start of the ballroom transformation but my day job is um it's it's a nice kind of compliment that i work with other communities and co-ops um around doing similar projects so it's very um i suppose mutually beneficial in that i can draw a lot on experience at the hall to provide help other groups and equally i I get experience what other organisations yeah. are doing and hopefully bring it to the hall. It's pretty good experience. So before, because this episode is on Stratford Public Hall, how it was renovated um, at the moment, how it's run and what's the future of the hall. Um, I've got a small game about Stratford and <laughs> Stratford Hall. So uh, there's five questions. There's nothing to win yet. Okay. Uh, but maybe, maybe for future episodes there will be something to, to win. Uh, but... Can you, or do you know who was at the origin of Stratford Hall and when was it built? It's not a trick question, so I presume <laughs> it's John Rylands. So John and Enriqueta. Yes. Enriqueta yeah. Rylands. Yeah. And the, the date is, 
I think is not an absolute consensus on. I th- yeah, because we had we were told it was on our website or something, and then we were told it was wrong. Was it 1879? Yeah, so I think we've always I based on records I've seen in 1878 or 1879. So it'll be interesting to know what <laughs> what date you've got there. Well, the date I've got is 1878. 1878. Oh. Okay, <laughs> and. Um, Obviously, there's John Rylands was, uh, it was quite interesting when I did, did that research. He's, uh, he was quite a rich man, uh, like working in textile and he had 15,000 people working for him with 17 mills and factories and was producing 35 tons of cloth a day, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think was quite interesting to know, especially about John Rylands. And there's a, there's a library as well that was built by his wife. When he died, he I was, think it's when he, he died. He was Manchester's first millionaire. Was he? Mm. Yeah. There you go. I didn't. And, know he, and he lived over not far from here in Longford Hall, which yes. is, was in Longford Park. So Stratford used to be an agricultural village in the 19th century, mm. and but it wasn't called Stratford. Do you know what it was called before? Well, I know it was. It was a lot of pig farming around here, Pighampton. I've heard a term. Yeah, it's pretty close. Poor Campton. Poor Campton. <laughs> because, okay. yeah, there was a lot of pigs raised and produced here. What's the population of Stratford? Um, and that's the data from 2011. And obviously I've got ranges for you to help okay. you. <laughs> okay. It's multiple choice. 35,000 and 40,000. 45,000 and 50,000. And fifty-five thousand and sixty thousand. Okay. I'm, I thought it was thirty-nine thousand. So I think. Yeah. The I, first. I, I think. Yeah. So it's the first wrong. option. It's forty-six thousand. Oh, well, forty-six thousand. Close to forty-seven. Okay. There may be also tricks in some questions, but which building or facility is not part of Stratford? Manchester United's football ground, Lancashire County Cricket Club ground. Or the Imperial War Museum near the Media City. I mean, I imagine the Imperial War Museum is more Salford. That would be my guess. Well, they're all in Stratford. They're all in Stratford. Didn't I? And I didn't realise also Old Trafford is part of Stratford. Yeah, it's not. It's not outside of Stratford. And during the Second World War, Rolls Royce Merlin engines were produced in Trafford Park. Yep. which is part of Stratford, and it's the world's first uh, industrial estate, apparently. These engines were powering two famous aircrafts. What are these two aircrafts? Famous aircraft? Yeah, I was going to say like a Spitfire or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, aviation isn't my strong point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, they're pretty, very well known. I mean, I, I know you're I'm pretty sure you've heard the names. Okay, names. put us out of our misery. <laughs> The Spitfire. Oh, yes. Spitfire. Okay. <laughs> and the Lancaster. Uh, Lancaster Palmer. Okay, oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, uh, about the Stratford Hall, can you tell us how it all started from the renovation idea, why you wanted to do it, and how re- you raised money? Um, don't know who's the best person mm-hmm. to start. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to give you the short plotted history. Um, so... Um, so obviously we've covered the hall's been 1878. Um, the hall um, was opened, and at that t- 
time it was very much Stretford Public Hall. It was built for the purposes of the community. I mean, I'm sure Kate will be able to come in in terms of some of the uses over time, but it was, it had really mixed um, offer over the years. Initially had a library, swimming baths, I'm trying to think of other uses. I mean, obviously this ballroom that we're sat in was used for all sorts of um, events and um, community uh, activities. And then essentially it, it was when Enriqueta passed, it moved to the, the council basically became the custodian of the building. And I suppose the, the next kind of notable, I suppose, change was when it became Stratford Civic Theatre, which I'm going to say was in... Post-war. Post-war. Yeah, 49, I think. 49. So, so actually quite a lot of residents who've lived in Stratford will know it as the Civic, um, because it, it, that was its primary sort of... It was primary, primarily a theatre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Essentially, it was in the 90s where the count, essentially, I think the council, it was basically, it, 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 it was difficult for it to carry on as a civic theatre was my understanding. So the council basically took it on and it became sort of de facto council offices from, well, actually it might have been a bit earlier, but um, it, so it was essentially, you know, even in this ballroom, you had like, it was a user's office space, which is quite bizarre, really. Yeah. Um, and it was around 2012, 2013, I think the council recognised that, actually. They, they, they didn't see a future for them using it as a council space. And um, I think that they basically started to um, test out uh, alternative uses and see if there was interest um in that that i think they it was, i don't think they had any you know grand plan but they realized and it, it was at that point that actually uh the community well it was actually the founding members anushka dan and lisa initially spearheaded a kind of um a campaign to say actually because it was starting to come out in the public domain that the council were looking at alternative uses of the building um and they basically saw how fantastic the space was and that actually mm-hmm. it, what Stretford really lacked was a kind of central civic space, community space. Obviously, we have the, the mall over the road, but there's no natural district centre. Yeah. Um, uh, so essentially, they started to build a campaign around pushing for bringing the, the hall back into community use. When was it? So that would have been about 2013, 2014. Okay. And um, it was an interesting time because actually it was about that time that the Localism Act had been passed, which was basically giving communities greater powers to take um, take ownership and of, of assets. Okay. So um, it, there was essentially a bit of legislation called the... Uh, community asset transfer, which gave councils the ability to um, basically transfer assets at sub-market value to communities. So it was sort of good timing <laughs> in yeah. a way, because there was a bit of 
energy and interest in the idea of communities taking on assets. And there was a bit of funding as well. So, Do you know how much do you... How much was available as a funding? Well, I mean, I think it was, in a way, it was it was relatively generous funding, it, given current circumstances, uh, if you like compare it to now. But um, so I think there was, I know the Friends Group basically were able to draw on, I think, maybe around £50,000 for all the professional um, professional services that they needed to put a convincing bid together to the council. So architects, accountants, legal. So that was really critical because actually I think there was interest at the council to, I think they saw the value of a community asset transfer, but obviously you need, the community need to put together a convincing case. And obviously you can only, you know, you need some expertise to help do that. Yeah. But it was very much driven through the community. They did some fantastic uh, work just building a, a supporter base. I think they had got like two and a half thousand people signed up to a mailing list. Um, and they raised, they did some crowdfunding. Um, and then I, basically the council said, well, we're going to invite bids. Mm-hmm. So the community basically put a bid in. I think it needed to be in on like the 23rd of December, 2014, I think. So I think it was a... Yeah, I think it was a bit of a, a kind of pressure, you know, getting a bid together amongst the community just the two days before Christmas. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but, they, but they managed it and um, the council basically agreed to the asset transfer based on that bid and, uh, and then actually sold the building to the community. When you say the community, was it... Yes. Like a charity? Or yeah, so how, it was... How does so, that work? Does the community have to set up a charity yeah, so, together and say, we represent the Stratford community and therefore they can apply for grants and say, we've got the plans of renovating Stratford Hall? Yeah, exactly. It was... So that initial funding, some of that was to basically help work out what was the best legal model. Yeah. Um, and actually that was where it was quite interesting because initially was set up as a charitable company just to get going. It was quite quick, just needed a, an entity just to be able to raise a bit of funding. Mm-hmm. But it was during that time, it was recognised that actually the whole, um, the whole business plan kind of was underpinned by the idea that we'd have to raise money from the community to uh, invest. The building wasn't in the worst condition, but it definitely needed investment yeah. to realise what we wanted to do to turn it into a active community hub so it was at that point that we recognized that there was this quite valuable legal model called a community benefit society it's a type of cooperative but essentially allows community members to take a demo so every member of Stretford public hall is one member one vote so the community that become members so we we do co-own it together yeah and we can all participate as a member and we and We'll come on to it, but essentially the community were able to invest. So that was quite a key part of the identity of, of what we were doing here. So actually, the councils, we, we bought it for £10. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the, the investment okay. needed was obviously much more. Yeah. Um, and then basically the most powerful thing we could do is actually allow the community to invest because it allowed the community to take a stake in the organization. Mm. And it then convinced other funders that actually 
people really want this. I think it's a really powerful way to say, if people are willing to put £100 in, it's really powerful to say this is this is something that the community are really be- getting behind. So yeah. it, was, it was, I think it was a really important first step along the way. So is that what happened? They put £100, most of, most people put that much money do you, do you remember the? Do you have statistics? I do. Sadly, of... have all the statistics <laughs> of the sheriff <laughs> in my head, despite it being about five years ago. Um, so when we basically convinced the council that we could run this space as a really active com- community cultural hub, we basically said that a main part of that was to renovate the ballroom that mm-hmm. we're sitting in now, because actually this is as you. Can, see and hopefully hear from the ambience. Um, it's a great, significant space. There's nowhere else in Stretford that you've got this yeah, kind definitely. of... Yeah. Um, so we always said that we were going to raise money from the community to basically um, transform the ballroom because it was there were a number of issues around the condition and the, the offer, even... The, the, yeah, we, we couldn't realise the potential of the ballroom until we invested in it. So we basically went and did the share offer in 2017 and we launched it on the 2nd of February and we were aiming to raise £250,000, which is quite scary. To, That's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, we, 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 we sort of knew that there was enough interest in energy, but you'd never quite know whether people were really going to yeah. go for it. We were quite fortunate because we got some match funding so for every pound the community put in um a funder called power to change would match up to a hundred thousand so that definitely helped yeah um but in the end we wrote we actually raised two hundred fifty-five thousand. that's great uh, from about 800 members and and we said with the minimum was a hundred pounds so it's not an it's not you know it's not nothing it's quite mm. a and um, we were really, yeah, amazed that a third, well, no, probably about two thirds of our investors put in a hundred and then we got a few slightly larger amounts. Um, and the majority came from local. So it was predominantly local investors. About okay. 80% were from Stratford. That's quite impressive, 80%. Were you involved at that time? Okay. No, or when, no, that when was did before you, I joined here. It was, just after, was it just after the funds were raised or...? Uh, I joined in 2018, 2018. Yeah. yeah, so the following year. And so at, at which time did you start? You, you started to raise money, you got the money, and but did you put some plans to show people what you were going to do and say what they're going to invest in? Exactly. A, a yeah. bit like Stratford Mall, I guess. So I think the big lesson learning for us was we, you know, with a building like a, a heritage building, you, you, you can... You can obviously do an, a, a certain amount of feasibility to understand that like we had some headline plans about what we were going to do, but we we were keen to raise the money. So we we knew that we were going to obviously have to do some more detailed investigation to actually really finalise the mm. work. And essentially, we we raised £255,000, which was a fantastic achievement. But if I'm brutally honest we didn't entirely know whether that would that amount of money could uh enable us to do the work that we needed because yeah. we couldn't do the level of exploratory work around structures you know so many variables mm. and it was actually really only until k 
Kate came in that we had someone who could dedicate, you know, really dedicate their time to unpick and, you know, and, and, but what was really valuable is that we could bring in other funding from other funders because we could say, look, there's so, we've got, we've, you know, because the funders could see that we were going to, we were doing something that was really going to yeah. generate community benefit. We had 800 members that were all wanting this. And so, so. Um, which men, which funders did you attract or did you convince and how much did you raise after? Did you, were you able to raise some money after, presumably? Yeah, we did. We raised, um, so Power to Change, the community okay. business fund, um, we had almost 300,000 from them in addition. Uh, and then we had another 70 from Virador. Virador, yeah. Uh, and Veolia. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we did, it was about another 400,000 we had. And what did you renovate then? What sort of works were you able to do with that amount of money? So well, in between we had to do some work, um, on the roof. So we took a decision to remove the lead from the roof and to replace that with steel. So there was, that was quite a big cost as well that, that sort of needed doing. Um, and we did some renovation work on the lift. And then in terms of the, the ballroom package that were the sort of renovation, um, oh, sorry. And then actually before that, there was a, uh, so all of the floor of the ballroom had to be reinforced, but that had to be done from below. Okay. So there was a big bit of renovation. The first phase was all carried out on the, on the ground floor. Yeah. Um, and, and that as, as part of that, we removed some of the internal walls in the rooms below. So there was a sort of a first phase downstairs and then the main ballroom renovation, we, we we sort we sorted out all the electrics, so we spent quite a lot on M&E, um, uh, new heating, so all new radiators. Um, we put in two new kitchens, sort of two new kitchenettes, uh, and then all the decoration and the treatment of the floor. Yeah, the the floor looks great. Was it is the original one? Yes. Yeah, it looks looks great. How long did that all last in total? The the renovation process, not. Not the tender process, but the the construction, the, yeah, the renovation. I mean, it was it was quite a long. We, it was because we see almost we had to change some of our sequencing. So yeah. basically, the, <clears throat> doing the structural work on the floor did first, but it activated the rooms below. Yeah, which wasn't always the plan, but actually, it was quite a vow. It, it made because that's the thing. When you were, we were, we were, an, we were a live site. We have, we were having people in booking the building and yeah. tenants. So actually having some high quality spaces ahead of, I mean, it, in, a, in the end, lockdown and things slightly changed the proposition, but it, it, it meant that, you know, we had that kind of phasing yeah. approach, which to be honest, we hadn't anticipated at the beginning, but. I think was probably quite helpful because, well, in two ways, I suppose it, it, it was doing a smaller package of works initially, I think helped skill us up to, um, you know, cause it is a, you know, overseeing a construction project is quite complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we, um, so I think it was helpful that it gave us some experience of, of overseeing that and working with the contractor and the architect and all the other, before we then um, came up to do the ballroom phase, which was obviously a larger, more complex, well, 
I would say equally complex, but larger. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, you, so now, but it did mean that the, if you, from the, I would say like, it was a long, um, it was a, like a, a long period really from the moment that we'd sort of raised the funding, which we did by April, 2017, mm-hmm. that community share offer. And yeah. then it wasn't until July, 2021 that we had our opening event in the ballroom. So. Yeah, that's quite a long four, time. Four years. What are the challenges of re- renovating a place like this? Obviously, it's grade listed two. Grade two listed, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what are the challenges? I'm sure there's a lot of heritage boxes to tick or... Yeah, I mean, what? I think because it was all internal, um, that all, you know, most of the ballroom work was internal. It, we we didn't... There was a bit of sort of um, discussion with the conservation officer, um, but apart from the decoration, which they were quite keen to make sure was done sympathetically. Yeah. Um, we weren't doing anything that was too sort of, you know, disruptive. We were, we were restoring it to how it would have been rather than making changes that were seen as sort of like yeah. modernizing it or things. So um, I think the conservation officer was really happy with the way that we did it. And we were working with um, heritage architects that had lots of sort of experience. So I think that helped. Um, I mean, I think the real challenge that, we found was probably around like the heating and the um the ventilation system so we spent a long time or the engineers did like modeling the ventilation and looking at how we might heat it and how we might cool it and um trying to think that through so that was yeah challenge and then I guess there was just there's just unknowns you know things that you sort of discover um when the work was going on so uh just behind us we've got a uh kind of um, little kitchenette area that was that was installed as part of the renovation yeah. um, and when we came to put that in there was that we just discovered this Victorian steel sort of girder running right across the gap where we were going to planning you know we were planning to kind of create this gap um, and luckily you know the, the structural engineers managed to work out that it could be removed and it wasn't a problem but we just didn't know that was there until you know we started started the work so a few things like that I think we sort of uncovered as we went I think the other challenge is also again because you know you've got a number you've got so many expectations about the space yeah so obviously as a board trustees we had a view of how we thought the space would work but obviously we did consultation with the community we had you know we had certain stakeholder groups like um sort of dance societies who, you know, we'd spoken to about, you know, how could we make it suitably um, compatible with dancing and the floor, mm-hmm. you know, everything from the stain on the floor getting exactly, you know, a certain amount of, uh, what would you call it? I forget there was like a terminology, wasn't there, for how slippy the floor. Okay, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, but then you've got health and safety concerns if it's too, you know, because it, and... And so you have all these competing interests and expectations and because we were keen that it, we basically didn't try and shut any doors around what we could do in the space, have as many options. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't going to be predominantly a music venue or predominantly a theatre or predominantly a cinema. The idea is we could do all sorts of different things in the space. and yeah. But you're obviously having to make compromises and about... Um, how you keep all those uses in play, basically. I didn't realise that aspect, how if you have 
80 kids jumping up and down and running on the on the floor is there is there limitation does the the existing floor has is limited to this can you can you have this do you, and i guess it's um yeah it's big limitation but hopefully that's something that you've been able to sort I mean, well I, yes you have because you do organize those sorts of <laughs> events and, yeah. I, and i think i mean i think our the buttress to the architects i think my feeling was they really got what we wanted in terms of always thinking about the practical elements of yeah. where we're going to store things where are we, you know all those things that when you want a multi-purpose space and you're working with volunteers and you know you've got to it's so my feeling was that they that they really helped crystallize those things because we we're like oh we want this and that but then it's actually making that happen is, yeah. is quite difficult yeah they were very patient and i think they recognized that you know there's a lot of in lot of competing interests and a lot of people with different interests i mean they said afterwards that they'd never worked on a project that had involved so many paint samples because you know there was just lots of people with ideas about what colors things should be and they were they, you know they really tried accommodated that and you know made like helped us have the sort of space to make those decisions and recognized it was really important for everyone to sort of be on board with those things so they were really good at managing that but also kind of saying no when they had to you know and saying like you can't afford that you you know I, it would it would have been lovely to have stripped other floors and to to have done things probably to a different standard but they they were very pragmatic as well and said you know you know you want to finish on time we want to finish on budget this is <laughs> we're telling you that you can't do that and it was like okay right yeah <laughs> yeah managing clients expectations yeah. <laughs> exactly and especially when the client is sort of an amorphous 800 so member 800 members <laughs> aboard you know the staff volunteers funders so did, about the colors did you have to get not probably not approval but did you have to put that down to the 800 members and say, these are the callers we want, and what do you think? And you have a big vote. Well, no, I mean, that- I think this is like a, an interesting... Because I think people, when you talk about like co-ops and community, it's like, you know, when you say, oh, everyone has a stake, obviously there's practical considerations where yeah. you can't put every decision to all the members because it would be impossible uh so i think that's where we as a board like that's sort of where we have the accountability and responsibility that we're there to sort of represent the members mm-hmm. and so that was we're always like thinking like oh gosh we really want and especially because when we did the share offer we sort of talked about this ballroom transformation we're going to create this fantastic space mm-hmm. and people you know so you've got and it's not like you know these investors that live in you know these are friends and neighbors and people that you you know so you've got that real accountability every time you walk down the streets was like how how's the ballroom going you're like (laughs) so it's like the decision making is obviously managed and and i think also what was key is that even within the board we sort of identified a, a working group that could spend the time and um help decide on the color scheme and things because again what was the color before Oh, well, it was salmon pink. Yeah, it was an interesting <laughs> salmon pink and colour. Had, did you have freedom to have the colours you wanted instead of protection? We, and yeah, we actually we had a um uh, a his, like a historic paint expert came in and um they took samples from from 
downstairs in the foyer and up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and it was hoped that they would be able to establish what the original colour scheme had been. But actually, the ballroom had been um, re-skimmed as part of a renovation, I think, in the 80s or 90s. So there wasn't any evidence of what it would have been. Okay. Uh, so we did have a bit of freedom in that sense. The The architects put together, I think, two or three colour schemes that they said would have been t- typical. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that they said was probably quite accurately what, what it would have been like was quite garish wasn't it it was a kind of a, it was a sort of pinky yeah and it was very dark brown brown so yeah brown, I remember the and brown pink, shades yeah like brown pink and orange or something yeah and we were just like it's kind of kind of cool but we you know we needed it to be relatively the sort of i think we were thinking about like wedding photos and yeah. you know the sort of space that people would want to be getting married in so we thought well, we probably need to go for the slightly more um yeah, neutral, I guess. Scheme. Yeah. It Although looks, I think I, for me personally, great. I love the, the gold motif. Yeah. It really, I don't know, it just brings out the, uh, yeah. And I think that was something that you, the historic uh, paint specialist, they said that you would have found quite, is that Yeah, right it would thinking? have been ornate. Ornate, yeah. yeah that yeah, kind yeah. of like, it wasn't always muted shades that like you could have a bit of. Yeah. Well, you see that downstairs, don't you? With yeah. all the very, you know, the terracotta that's very heavily patterned, um, all of the, the downstairs. So it would have been, yeah. I mean, we've got historic photos that show a frieze at some point. So there would have been some sort of, um, decorative frieze all around the ballroom, but there's no evidence of that and not, not many photos. So yeah, I like the contrast between really dark and pastel and lighter, which blends quite well. With everything. Yeah, and um, also the the varnish of the the floor is great. So everything blends. Obviously, well, you had a professional, so you knew what they were doing, and you had. The yeah, functions. I mean, one of the thing on the the color scheme. I don't know if it's ever played into the, but the BBC uh, filmed in the ballroom for a drama called World on Fire, and I always get the feeling that. that they did a kind of paint job, didn't they, for that? For that, and I've always felt like that provided a little bit of inspiration for the. But maybe I, I'm a little bit off there because I felt like he, it did have that kind of green. Um, they, well, I think yeah, but I think they just painted because they didn't want to get a scaffold. I think they did, that was a practical thing. They yeah. just did a, a um, painted the lower half a different right, color. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we kind of saw that and thought actually that looks quite yeah. quite nice, um, and it was. Yeah, it was just something that they sort of did just to for the film for the purpose of the filming. So, what's the structure of the organisation now? Uh, and also, that's something that I'm quite interested in. That I don't know about. Um, obviously, you said you are registered as a community benefit society. Um, what's can you explain the difference between the co-op and CICs, the so community interest companies? Well. Obviously, they're all for the benefit of a, of a community, but what's the subtle difference and why did you go for yeah. the benefit society? So really, the, the main difference is just um, in a, a CIC is a type, is, is a company, it's still a, a type of company, which means that you still would have quite often owner directors. Mm-hmm. So most community interest companies will have a set of directors that fundamentally own uh the organization so yeah. while they might have a wider membership base it's still 
the directors their own and they will have limits on how much of the profits they can utilize privately and as a recognition it it needs to deliver community yeah. purpose whereas we're a society and a society is fundamentally a different legal model to a company um and and it is obviously the her- history of societies is from Manchester Rochdale where you had the first cooperative societies mm-hmm. um and that's basically saying that you don't you know it's the members that own the organization collectively and have a democratic say so what that actually means is that everyone has a vote at the AGM and vote, elects the board and we're as board members are accountable to our members okay um so uh so it's distributed ownership amongst the community um which is the sort of so is that fundamental difference of of yeah not having concentrated ownership but distributed yeah, yeah i didn't realize you had to elect the board Yeah, so at the AGM we 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 have yeah elections. So how how is it structured at the moment? You're chair, and yeah. who's part of of the the board? And can can you explain a bit? So we have at the moment we've got twelve board members. Mm-hmm. So we've had actually we had our AGM in November, and we had a, a new intake of about four or five new board members, which is really great because. You know, bring new, fresh perspectives and energy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, having yeah been involved for a number of years, like it's just it's great to have new people come in. Um, uh, and yeah, so we, essentially, the board we have that kind of a wider strategic role for the organization. But you know, what's great now is we we the day to day work is with Kate and the team um so because when we first started we were a very active board we didn't have any staff yeah so we had to do everything <laughs> which was stressful and probably unsustainable um so yeah it's that the growth of the organization has been amazing to see um and a lot of that is as a result of Kate coming in and and building and developing and and growing the organization so great uh, well done Kate <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> um a lot of people say it may cost a lot of money to obviously renovate your place but it costs much more money to run it what are the well the cost of keeping Stratford Hall alive and also how do you generate your revenues what sorts of activities i think that that would be quite interesting to to know for other other people who want to do the same with such a place similar places yeah so our running costs um are about 11,000 pounds a month um that is going to significantly increase this year because of our electricity bills so okay. our our energy bills uh have gone from 20,000 pounds two years ago to 60,000 this year. So we've had a really massive uh, increase in, yeah, in energy bills. Yeah. Uh, so we're really looking at what we can do in terms of improving energy efficiency to try and get that down, you know, get our use down as much as we can. Yeah. So the running costs are about, yeah, kind of 11, 12 a month and uh, 12K a month. And m- we've got various income streams and and I think that's been quite important Um, particularly during COVID, you know, when, when 
one income stream, which was room hire, just sort of stopped overnight. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of tenanted space. So we've got a co-working space in the back of the building, an artist studio and um, the parliamentary office as well. So our local MP is based here. Um, and although we, you know, we did agree some sort of rent holidays and things during COVID, but that's a, a regular steady source of income that comes in every month. So that's really important just to be able to rely on that, mm-hmm. you know, and know that that's coming in. Um, we generate increasingly a lot of money from room hire. Yeah. Um, and obviously the ballroom's been really important in, in sort of bigger packages like weddings and private parties. And then we do organize our own events and activities. So um, we're set up for cinema tonight. You know, we've got a community cinema we run, live That's music nights. That's all the seats there. That's all the seats. Yeah, yeah. We're showing the um, David Barry uh, documentary tonight. Um, and then we, so we run, com- you know, we run community events, but, but, you know we try to do everything um for it to be affordable and accessible so you know that means kind of keep keeping the prices as low as we can so we don't make huge profits on um anything Mm. we do and we are uh, a lot of our community work and our outreach is reliant on grant funding um so we've got a kind of a stripped down business model which is running the building Um, hiring out the rooms you know the very minimum that we can do um that we can kind of do sustainably and then a lot of the extra work that we'd like to do that that sort of outreach we we have to rely on grant funding for that so if you didn't have the grant funding would you be able to stay alive we would just about yeah we would but we probably wouldn't be having the community impact we have Yeah. Yeah, we would be providing a community space. We would still be here. People could still use the building. We would still be looking after the building. So, you know, which really was the aim of you know, the friends when we when we started. So, yeah. we would still be meeting our objectives as an organization. But I think a lot of what we do now, the extra impact we have as an as an organization, um we do re- rely on sort of funding for that. Yeah, that's quite important. Yeah, and I mean, I think That's yeah. This is a. It's almost like a. It's a key consideration around, and it for any kind of trading business that then also obviously has a strong community purpose. There is an element where, you know, we want to increase our trading income to cover our operating costs because you know, we know that grants and funding is, is quite it's an it's quite an uncertain kind of yeah. space to work in and it and and so you know we know that if we can increase our trading income then we can provide continuity and sustainability and, and know that we can run the building and i think still deliver really key aspects of providing affordable workspace for local people putting on events um but the grants and that funding just allows us to extend our reach and impact and give us, I suppose, a bit more um, opportunity to, to, to try things out, I think. Can you give some examples? Well, I think I think probably a good example, well, I mean, Kate, you might come in on other things, but I think one of the things that when I when we came in quite early on was, um, we, and it's still going now, is this Wellbeing Tuesdays. So we we put on a series of well-being activities, yoga, chair aerobics, Pilates. But the idea is it was, it was always going to be a very affordable offer. So we, do, we wanted to make it incredibly accessible. Anyone could come in and, and uh, part, participate in the activities yeah. um, and the cost shouldn't be a, ba- a barrier. 
but we had to kind of work out the model of how we were going to do that because obviously we have to bring in providers to deliver the classes and obviously you know they need to secure how you know they need to generate uh, a livelihood so we have to pay the uh, the providers and so we're just like finding the right model which means we can support local uh, well-being providers provide an affordable mm-hmm. um uh, offer and we were able to secure a few grants early on to just kind of make that model work and that was sort of five years ago and i and it's i, I think that was also probably the first instance of where we were able to keep the door open, front door open in it throughout that day because there was classes coming in. People could just come in. We had like a community cafe, yeah. you know, pretty low-fi cafe. But the idea of just allowing that, and, and that was sort of the start of, of, of basically of trying to get that real hub feel where people can come in and interact with yeah. um, the activities, get advice, be a place for information advice and 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 in contact and, and meet people um and yeah i think that we've now extended that and yeah i don't know if you um, you probably <laughs> no i think that's a good i mean i think lots of lots of the activities we've done we we start with a bit of grant funding to kind of test them um i mean like this morning we've had a cookery class running um with about i think 25 people came um just affordable which we're trying to um, promote slow cookers and you know thinking about we get a lot of people that come in for help with energy bills at the moment so we're trying to support people to learn how to cook with slow cookers um, and you know when these things are up and running you're, you're often able to find a way of running them without funding so once something gets a bit of momentum and maybe people are willing to make donations to take part and then volunteers get involved and they start yeah. taking over some of the running of it um then, you, you know, we, it's often possible for us to afford to run those things without grant funding, but usually that initial trying it out um, and maybe, you know, investing in a bit of equipment or um, marketing costs, those kind of things, just having a bit of grant funding takes the risk off us and means that we can try it out and then think about how to run it sustainably. That's interesting. I know another, we, we discovered the air fryer as a replacement of the yeah. oven. Uh, it's much faster and it uh, doesn't consume as much electricity than a, as an oven. So if you want to just roast some potatoes and with something else, then there's enough room for that for a family of four kids, um, yeah. two kids and two adults. Yeah, and I, I think that's been a big development. I think being, I think co-locating activities. So basically, for me, I think that's a really, I think that's really valuable offer where you know you might come in to do a yoga class but then you can chat to someone from you switch about your energy bills and uh and then go and meet someone um and just have a brew and and the idea that it because it they're you you, you're not saying right you've got to go we're we're doing this thing you need advice about this and you've Mm. got to go in and it's that idea that you it it's more informal and casual and it allows I don't know, for me, makes it more accessible and, yeah. and less stigma about interacting with certain things. Um, I know <laughs> mainly because my mum's a volunteer and she's involved, but we now do an English as a foreign language class and that's become really popular. But it happens in, you know, people come there, but then they might go and do yoga and then, and it's just that, 
that's what you get with the hub. It's that idea that you, yeah. people can interact with different parts of, 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 of what we do, and it, but it doesn't have to be structured and formal, which I think can put people off. I like, well, obviously, I, I live in Stratford and we come here very often with family and friends and it's, it's really nice to, well, to come with friends and just bump onto a few, a few other people we partially know, not so well, or neighbors. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to all meet here and, uh, obviously it's for mainly for parties and big events that we come, but, um, yeah, there's, there's other, smaller events that, that are great we're going to have the um, theatre stressed uh, in in a few weeks and there's loads of data I want to ask John about and there's one data I'm very interested in is how when you go to a venue then uh, it benefits also going to a venue or renovating a venue benefits the local businesses around the venue have you got any stats of Maybe around oh, Stratford, yeah, yeah. probably not about Stratford Hall, yeah. but for every pound that's spent in Stratford Hall, for Stratford Hall, how much does the, like, uh, do the small businesses or surrounding yeah. businesses get? And I presume, I know you're already engaging with a lot of small businesses, either inviting them in or suggesting people who come to a certain event to go. For example, the pizzeria there, Big House 332. Mm. Uh, yeah. Have you got, what, what's your data? So we we haven't done that piece of work looking at that local economic impact in in monetary terms. Um, yeah. It's actually something I emailed someone about yesterday, asking okay. them if they could help us do it. Uh, so it is that would be really interesting. I think there are sort of general um, acknowledged uh, figures about you know a local business. Is it one pound? One pound invested is you know three yeah. pounds in the local area. Or, you know, but yeah. but what we haven't looked at that in detail. Um, what we do know are things like you know the number of small businesses that have been supported through our co-working space, mm-hmm. or the number of organisations that have used um, our rooms and and have had access to community space. So we we we're getting much better at reporting on that on an annual basis. Yeah. So we can say you know these are the number of organisations that have benefited from us being here um we've got a sustainable procurement policy so we do try to focus on supporting local businesses and you know favoring local businesses and local contractors just to try and ensure that you know our money is invested locally and uh, you know and it's actually something quite often funders ask for so funders will ask you know how many of your staff live in your local area how many of your board you know so there is a sort of an interest from funders and that kind of thing um but i think that very detailed economic piece of work isn't something we've quite done yet what's been interesting is when the when we initially took on the hall there wasn't really a particularly i would say big nighttime economy in stratford mm-hmm. um just because of the way the mall um was run at that time it was predominantly a retail offer yeah and so the big change over the last five years has been um diver- diversity in uh the offer in Stretford. So, you know, there's now way more pubs, bars, restaurants than there were at the beginning. So I think it's been interesting because I think one of the things that we anticipated here at the beginning was that we were going to ha- have to, we, for the time that we were going to be a key 
driver in the nighttime economy because there w- it wasn't didn't seem to be anything else mm-hmm. going on. And I think it was when we started thinking, oh, maybe we should have a dedicated bar or a dedicated cafe in the space, that nighttime offer. But I think what's been really interesting is that's happened. And, you know, I don't, I don't obviously it's difficult to attribute that the whole help stimulate, but I'm sure it was helpful. Yeah. And I think, but I also think it's quite a, interesting that I think it means that we can sort of, part, we can be part of and now of a wider nighttime economy mm-hmm. where we put on an event here and people might, you know, so tonight we've got a hundred people coming for cinema, maybe a few more. And I'm sure, you know, that will then, you know, it's not going to go on late, but then people will go elsewhere or might get some food before or, so it's actually, I think, you know, you being a, having a nighttime or an evening offer then hopefully helps. And I think for us, we, you know, it's, it's great because it is, again, it's sort of compliments. So people will see what we've got on and think, oh, actually I will come to this because actually we can go somewhere else afterwards and, um, and, you know, it means that people locally have got somewhere on their doorstep rather than going to town or going to Chalton. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So a big river away between Stratford and Chalton. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think that's been an interesting change because I think initially we're like, okay, the whole hat is going to, there's going to be a lot of, you know, we really need to like seize the nighttime offer because we're going to be the main nighttime kind of potentially pro- proposition in Stratford. Because is it your, your intent? Well, I think we're more relaxed about it now because we, you know, we we can we can plan about what's best within, you know. I, I, I mean, I think the main thing is we were very we did quite a lot of work around should we open like a cafe in the hall. We did some feasibility around that, and there was okay. always going to be restrictions, limitations, and but obviously there was at that time we did quite a lot of consultation, and there wasn't a huge kind of offer, and yeah. and it, since then we've had. Friends of Victoria Park with the cafe in the park, Uplift, Stretford Food Hall, Head, The Hive, you know, all these places that are now here. And um, yeah, I, I think, know. but I was going to say, I think one of our, you know, our, one of our objectives is to respond to community need. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that's kind yeah. of, that's in our, ter- you know, terms of sort of existence is that we, we are aiming to provide what the community needs in this area. And, yeah. Um, the fact that we're able to kind of respond and, and um, you know, change those objectives slightly. So it's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, that Stratford doesn't need a cafe at the moment. It doesn't need nighttime because that's being done elsewhere. But actually what we're doing is, um, you know, serving as a community hub and helping people with, you know, access fuel support. And, you know, and that's what's kind of needed. And that's what that's how we're sort of responding. So I think having that flexibility to be able to sort of say okay let's you know we do quite a lot of consultation we're always sort of asking people what they want to see and what they'd like to be going on in the building and um constantly doing that you know and that's important from from a grant rate a fundraising point of view because a a funder would ask well how do you know it's needed how do you know that the local community wants it um but also just because that's what we're here for really is just to you know to provide what is needed I was just going to, sorry, just yeah, to jump back a bit. I was just going to say about the the investment. I think the hall has very definitely had a, a big in, um, impact on 
investment because when the Stratford secured future high streets funding, um, 19 million for the, mm. the first phase of the redevelopment and the renovation of the hall and the asset, the asset transfer was, was featured in that bid, um, as an example of the fact that, you know, the community were leading development already in Stratford. And, you know, we wrote a letter of support with that, with that bid that went in. And I do think the, the success of that and the reason that, you know, that funding was secured in part was because of all the, you know, not just here, there's other, other examples of community businesses that were really successful, like the SIP Club and, yeah. you know, but yeah. the fact that all of those, the community itself was, was, you know, trying to kind of look at solutions and, and yeah, develop, I think really strengthened that bid. So I think we probably did have quite a direct link to that extra funding coming into the town centre. That's quite interesting. Do you know if the renovation of the mall, well, it, it started to happen just after the hall was renovated. When the hall was renovated, before, has it always been on the plans? And uh, Because maybe it was also a case to renovate the mall as well and all the places around. Do you, Presumably the, the hall has had some... Um, has given more of a uh, an incentive for the mall to be renovated. Maybe I don't know. Uh, do you know about this? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was the the the, the asset transfer of the hall yeah. in one of the much earlier versions of the Stratford Master Plan was was cited as a, a, a step in that okay. redevelopment. So that was seen as. Um, one of the early things that they were going to do to sort of revive the town centre was this asset transfer of the hall. So I think it was just, it's part of that ongoing work. You know, I think they looked at all the local assets and said, okay, well, how are we, how can we renovate those or how can we redevelop them? Um, or, or, you know, just make, make use of them. And I think the handover of the hall was identified quite early on as a first step in that much wider, wider phase of redevelopment. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, I think it's, it's obviously always difficult to know. I mean, there's so many, I think, so many things at play, but obviously Stretford is, has had a lot of kind of top-down master planning work that then hasn't kind of got anywhere to yeah. a degree. I mean, it's maybe a bit harsh, but, it, it you know, there's been quite a lot of um, consultation and engagement to say, look, we know that the town centre in Stretford is you know it's, there's parts of it that don't work in you know and can't, it could be a much better more livable place mm-hmm. um, and I think obviously the big the big change has been bringing them all into the master plan with the own, with the traffic council and Bruntwood um, relationship where they've because essentially it was in private ownership. And so it's very difficult to master plan an area where, I, I mean, I don't know a percentage, but it's got to be, it's a big chunk of your town centre is in private ownership. And it was difficult to engage with, with them all. So like now is, you know, the opportunity is that that's plugged in. Yeah. So I think from our point of view, it's like there's, there's a lot of potential to do something quite bold. And I think, because you've because the mall's obviously a key part now of the the master plan um and i think for us it's just now like being we want to kind of feed into that because we feel like 
we obviously we don't speak for the whole community, but we do do a lot of work with 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 the community, mm-hmm. and we want to kind of try and help feed in what the community actually wants to see with the master plan. Is there anything you um, you wanted to do at the beginning and you can't do and you would like to do? Or I know you've got plans for the future of renovations or extensions. Um, is that primarily for that nighttime aspect that you would like to increase? Is it um, yeah? What what do you, would you like to do and what you haven't been able to do? doing the renovation yeah it's a good question <laughs> i think the the i think one of the things would be um would be around like volume levels <laughs> and yeah. noise levels mm-hmm. and i think there was definitely um a hope that we would be able to have more louder music sort yeah. of events in the hall um particularly in the evening Um, and we've just really struggled with being so close to residential, um, buildings, um, and, you know, not having the money to invest in, um, triple glazing and some of the things that might have like limited that a bit. So we've, we, we have had to, I think, kind of rein in that aspiration a bit in the short term, I think, because in the, in the longer term, we are still looking at renovating the basement, Mm -hmm. uh, and we've got a huge space downstairs down in the basement it's the footprint of the building so um you know there's real potential down there and that would you know potentially provide a space where we could do more sort of late night louder uh activity how large is the basement oh good question yeah i'm terrible uh, with them um, in terms of size. proportions compared to the hall is it is it as, as big well, it as runs as the whole space shape yeah it's yeah. the whole of the so you've hall. got sort of more than even this ballroom in terms of footprint okay. to work with yeah it's pretty big yeah, it's big it's yeah, massive yeah. and high it's it's not you know it's not small um it's not low ceilings it's okay. quite high there used to be a gymnasium when it was built it had a gymnasium down there when it was and uh, I yeah, yeah it was a I gymnasium I need to go and have a look <laughs> if we can yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so we d- yeah that's I think one of the things we would like to do um but cost wise it's you know it's really ex- it's a really expensive bit of work four million we think um to to do that and we would have to put in a new lift so there's quite a lot of other work that would need to go on to improve this, the building circulation to sort of um open up that area so we we are looking at that and that's in the long-term five-year plan yeah you're still going for it yeah yeah, yeah. and I, th- I, th- I think that's probably something i mean the pace of things i think in community organizations is because basically you know it took us five years really to to do this mm-hmm. and you know if you were a commercial business that would be potentially d- difficult you know to um navigate commercially if you basically can't realize a plan yeah with within you know especially because you know it w- you know a commercial outfit would have probably come in and done it very you know quicker but you know that that's the thing that you have to you have to sort of change your mindset around the pace of how you do things in a community mm-hmm. organization because it's more deliberative. Obviously you've got to raise the money in a, you know, we're not, we have, we don't, well, we can't and we, we, I don't think we 
I don't think it would, it would be economically difficult to take commercial, like take debt, and you know, we yeah. we do things in a more sustainable, patient way because that you know will mean that we well, so I think you know we have to look at things in a slightly longer term basis. So you're gonna you're not gonna take any loans. You're not gonna go to a bank for no. We we've, we've, we've taken a very small um, flexible loan. Um, yeah. but it's, it's yeah, relatively small amount compared to, and that's why the community share offer has been such a important part of the funding mix because it's mm-hmm. very patient investment and our IGM, you know, we've, most of our members come back and say, you know, we're happy not to take interest. We're happy to keep our money in. We like what you're doing. Yeah. I'm not, you know, we know that we, we don't get it right all the time. Like that's obviously what comes with running an organization, doing lots of different things and experimenting. But mm-hmm. we I personally feel that we that we have a lot of goodwill from the community that allows us to do things on a slightly longer time frame. Um and and I think that's important. And that means that has to factor into our plans, basically. So are you able to to break down or to, to say you know you're going to be are you do you know you're going to be able to raise that amount of money and how from which sources um i know you've talked before about the national lottery is yeah. that right yeah i think that the national lottery heritage fund um yeah. are the most likely uh funders of certainly a, a large amount of that um a lot of the work that needs to, to be done is, is just sort of structural building work. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are, there are a lot of funders that won't fund that kind of activity. They're, okay. they're interested in the very direct spaces that a community will use. So we found it quite easy to get funding for the ballroom because it's very obviously a community space that people are going to be in. But when you start talking about, you know, windows needing repairing and, um, you yeah. know, all, all of the kind of, you know, building repairs and things that we need to be doing as well as the the renovation uh it's a bit it's a bit harder so i think it's more likely to be a funder that's interested in heritage buildings and protecting the fabric of the building we've also not it's one of the few funders we haven't actually Mm. um been to yet we haven't we haven't had any we had a very small amount but not recently um so it's you know it's a funder we're still hoping to kind of work with in the future yeah i mean i i think in a way at the time when we took the building on and said, we're going to raise, we're going to do the ballroom, we're going to raise this much money from the community, like naturally a lot, quite a lot of people said, that doesn't sound like you're going to be able to do that. That sounds quite hard. And we even thought at the time when we launched the share offer that it was, we were, it was going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, I remember like halfway through the offer, we were still quite way off our target. And, but I think we've, You know, so I think, but I think we realized that we, there is, we, like, we, ha- I think that's, there's an element of confidence about doing things. Mm. And so we don't know how we're going to do it and it, it will be difficult. But I think we have to be like, a little, yeah, we have so to give ourselves a little bit of confidence that it's something mm. that we should aim for. And we could, like, I think it, it's important that we don't just say, oh, that, that's impossible. We're not a commercial business and we can't you know so for me it's like it's important to to be a bit ambitious yeah but also realize that the time frames that you're probably working in are slightly longer than you might find elsewhere are you thinking of 
increasing your the events you organize or is that like full capacity running at the moment no we're not at full capacity okay. um so our focus is mainly on the the just the higher so yeah. the, not so much our own events and things because obviously there's a lot more staff time yeah. in those um but we're not at sort of capacity in terms of just room hire and um you know like private parties and weddings so we're sort of we're spending quite a lot of time just looking at improving the marketing of that um we haven't really had to do a lot of external marketing you know mm. a lot of our customers just word of mouth and people coming to events and then thinking that there might be somewhere that they could hire for you know for, for whatever event yeah um so we're definitely i think over over the next sort of 12 to 18 months just looking at getting getting the rooms hired as often as they can be um rather than more events and things which you know they do generate a bit of profit but then there's just more risk and more staff yeah. time and so yeah i think just maximizing the room higher income is sort of priority at the moment that's quite interesting yeah it's really hard to get to keep the balance between doing something to benefit the community and think, having things affordable and inclusive but also staying afloat and expanding as well yeah i mean it's uh, i mean i think we're really fortunate in that we've got some really um i don't know some key things that really help yeah and i think one of them probably haven't mentioned is our volunteers so we've got some absolutely amazing volunteers who you know with so many things that we do we probably wouldn't be able to do without that volunteer effort um and we've got yeah a volunteer manager fantastic volunteer manager because it you know it does require um you know it's not something you can just do overnight and expect people to yeah but i do think that really helps having a strong active volunteer base because it just again it like allows you to reduce your costs really it, a lot of time because you're not you can you can rely on volunteers to help run activities and events and so it is difficult but i feel that is something that we that really helps because it just gives us a bit of um scope basically yeah. to to and and yeah so very very grateful for for the volunteers who who put in a lot of time the community in structure is very special and it's great i like that feel and um i don't see that very often in other other areas or from friends who live or family who live in other places then uh, they don't seem to have that uh, so it's great for us adults but also for the kids and yeah, yeah no i mean it's jeff it's great i mean people it's on i'm constantly amazed and about how community kind of respond to everything that happens in Stratford, you know, right from the beginning of, you know, getting people to put in quite a considerable sum of money into yeah, yeah. to big old space, to everything that, you know, all the activities and the response and the events and the input. And I think you see it now with the other businesses and organisations in Stratford and... I think there is something quite unique and yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, keeping hold of that really, I think is key, but yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of places who would like to do what you've done and it's quite a big achievement to do that already. 
and so many areas are really struggling and probably that community factor is is really is really lacking maybe the communities are not as engaged so they don't care so much about a place where a hub as you said where they can all gather and an organization that listens to their needs and what they want what they would like i think it's also really hard <laughs> yeah it's you know there's a lot of obstacles in the way and uh especially around take like the kind of communities taking on spaces and assets um like i said i think we there were we definitely there was we were quite lucky at the just at the time that the campaign there was just a few things that just helped i'm not saying it wouldn't have happened otherwise but it the policy landscape and just yeah i just think and i, I part of me thinks it's much harder now maybe and obviously yep. in a yeah with just practically with cost of living and energy prices it's obviously harder now to to put that proposition together one question i forgot to ask is how did you go through the pandemic how, how was it for you well, well for we we were kind we were we were sort of lucky because it was um when we were just about to start just about to start the tender process for the ballroom renovation so we'd already factored into our business plan this period of the hall or certainly the the upstairs okay. um all being shut and you know losing that income for kind of eight months anyway um so we were really fortunate i think for the like um the determination of the architects and the professional team to just keep going and to respond really quickly to to make sure that we could kind of keep the renovation on track yeah. um so they came in and i think because construction was one of the few the, the few industries that was allowed to kind of continue wasn't it it was mm -hmm. still sort of you know they were keeping hospitals yeah. being built and all that yeah sort of thing. I forgot about that. um so you know within kind of weeks of lockdown they they came and um made videos that as because we weren't be, we weren't going to be able to have contractors on site to look around so that you know they just responded really well and i think that made a huge difference to us because had we had to shut and then have another 12 months shut after that mm -hmm. when the renovation was taking place it, we yeah. would have really struggled you know we, we would have got wouldn't have had reserves left by that point i yeah. think um so i think we definitely were lucky that we managed to get the renovation done and keep going with that without sort of losing that time we obviously shut we, sh we shut all the rooms you know we went we lost all the room hire income but very early on in the pandemic we were approached by traffic council um to act as a community hub for for stretford um, mm -hmm. and what they were looking for was local organizations that could sort of mobilize volunteer effort and um distribute food parcels help people ke collect prescriptions that kind of thing um And, you know, we had a staff team, we were here, we, you know, we was, we were able to kind of use the building. So we, we, we did that. We sort of responded really quickly. We were delivering food yeah. bank parcels within about two weeks. Yeah, I think. it was, I mean, it's obviously, every, you know, it's, when you think back, it is, you obviously everyone, you have that kind of odd sensation of trying to think back and how difficult and uh uncertain it was but it was yeah we had to respond pretty quickly and um yeah again it was amazing how volunteers suddenly changed from like running events to delivering food parcels and running a helpline um 
you know, which was, you know, that was, the, I think, allowed us to change. We were able to pivot quickly because we could call on staff volunteers just to kind of get yeah. that going. So, yeah. Yeah, Great. I think one uh, one thing that was really good was that um, thanks to Simon, we've always been, I think, had really good IT systems <laughs> and, you know, cloud-based systems. And um, so I know there was lots of, you know, I know of other community organisations that when they shut, you know, all of their, <laughs> everything they needed was on hard drives in buildings they couldn't access. Whereas our staff team could just work at home the next day, you know, straight away we were, everything we needed was mm. just cloud-based and, and that made a real difference, I think, in, in how quickly we were able to just keep going as a, as a team. And yeah, we had, we had, I mean, the, the phone line was, we actually had to set up a completely virtual phone line with every volunteer in their, in their respective homes. And so that was a, interesting tech projects to mm. to but you know in a way it was nice to be able to to do something <laughs> um because like i say it was such a bizarre time for everyone to try and navigate and and to have something to kind of focus on but yeah i do remember thinking wow i, I was not anticipating having to try and set up a completely virtual phone line in a call center call software center. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done so much for the hall and you do so much in Stratford obviously you know your nickname Mr. Stratford <laughs> I don't know anybody else uh, I don't uh, I think everybody knows your face knows who you are they might not know your name but they know I, mean, I think having quite a recognisable bike probably helps as well <laughs> probably as well <laughs> yeah um, right we usually finish the podcast with what's your favorite venue for but um i've decided to change it a little bit and um so there's six questions wow. and um obviously you can answer what's has been your favorite event organized by the whole what's your most memorable one um my favorite was uh it was called bring on the brass and it was uh it was the weekend before Christmas when Christmas was sort of cancelled because of COVID, you know, it was, we had that announcement on the, on the Sunday or the Saturday. And we'd been, we'd had a lot of people that had been telling us that they'd been looking forward to having brass bands playing in the hall when it was renovated. And mm -hmm. so we were trying to think, is there a way that we can kind of take brass bands to people? So, um, our events coordinator, Jess, did an amazing job of, um, planning these two these routes and it was a bit like a sort of new orleans um what do they call it second lining is it yeah the so they had yeah so we had these two brass bands basically playing um hacienda classics <laughs> yeah it was and and walking around all the the streets of stretford with this big kind of crowd following them yeah i thought it brought a lot of yeah kind of christmas cheer in a period that was quite or festive cheer in a period that was yeah difficult I think it was it was great event. so so weirdly it's not actually an event that was at the hall <laughs> but that was one of the yeah, we have organized things outside of the hall and i think that was one of the, my favorites i mean i i love that event too um but i think the uh, the opening of the ballroom where we had the untold orchestra um which if people don't know is a fantastic uh orchestra in manchester that do a number of events yeah um, i agree And so we had, yeah, we, we had our opening event when we, uh, in July, 2021. And yeah, we've never had that many musicians, I think on stage and it was, yeah, it was great. And just to see the new ballroom being used after 
two years of, or a year and a half of, of no activity. It was very good. Cool. I guess the second question you've already answered is what's your best memory about the whole? It doesn't have to be an event. Well, for me, the night that we, the final night of the share offer where we were in the SIP club and we knew we'd hit our minimum target, 200,000, and we were, we were basically watching the investment come in on the last night. Um, and it, it was just crazy, just people, because obviously people love a deadline. So we were just getting investments coming in on the last night and we were sort of watching people, we could watch in real time as the, the people were investing. Yeah. And that was just amazing. And yeah, we hit target on that final night, 250,000. That was pretty special. Amazing. How about you, Kate? Um, I don't know. What I, I don't know about a particular memory. I mean, like we do a Christmas fair that I always love, so we, we do yeah, that every event. year. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm more, yeah, fond of those. Yeah. What's your worst memory about the whole? If you if you can say, <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, when we had to get up on the roof uh, after the lead theft to put a temporary uh lead theft yeah that was quite difficult <laughs> um basically had a, a a gaping hole on on the roof and we had to try and fix it improvise with some sort of tarp <laughs> that was quite uh that was a yeah that was that was a particularly challenging <laughs> Uh, time, I think. Uh, mine. I mean, we've got we've got some toilets. We have a persistent problem oh, with yeah. blocking. So I've got quite a few <laughs> bad memories of having to try and unblock toilets, but uh, nothing too bad, I don't think. What would be your dream about the hall? If if it hasn't if isn't isn't true yet? I think definitely the basement yeah. and yeah that the, that extension that we've we've had a sort of you know architect's drawing of what it could look like with a new entrance facing yeah. the town centre. Is that public, by the way? Well, we've, yeah, we've, I mean, so basically we've, uh, as with all these things, we, uh, we feel we, our members are obviously our main, um, our main stakeholders, they're part of our governance. So we, we've, we've, in, we've shown some outline plans to members just as bet again it's very much like around managing expectation so i think we've talked about that we want to do the 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 basement and think about the building but again like learning in terms of like the share offer when we had to go out because we were raising money we were like we had to go out with like a big bold we're going to do this boring transformation but it did put quite a lot of stress and pressure on us mm. as, and predominantly as volunteers to see that through uh so i think we're basically recognizing that we have we want to be a bit more uh careful about um and and work because we just you know it's that that thing that we want to we obviously have plans and, and and aims and we try and share those but at the same time realize it is really hard and it's going to take a long time and we have to be kind of careful about what we sort of pledge and commit to because it's not a done deal by any means so i think it's and that is always that is a, always going to be a really difficult maneuver to basically like let people know about what we want to do and but at the same time like realize that you know don't build people's hopes up because actually that's quite a difficult yeah. thing as well i don't know mm. if you have any 
No, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And I think because it's like the, what we've also learned is um, you can face very expensive, unexpected repairs at very short notice. So, you know, you might think you're making progress in terms of fundraising yeah. towards a, a given target, but then actually things come up that, you know, you haven't anticipated and you can be taken, yeah, you can be kind of pulled in other directions because of the nature of the, the building, I think. So again, it's just about like managing that. Mm. community expectations what sort of advice would you give to people who would like to do the same as you've done for Stratford Hall so I mean actually Anushka who was the the one of the founding members of the chair she I, I definitely she flagged this as a key thing is about trying to basically realize that you can't do everything and you will you know burn out I mean, it's, you've got to ask for help and, and really just like call on people because there's so many people with skills and experience and amazing talents mm -hmm. in your community um, who will come in and will do amazing stuff for, you know, no return. <laughs> um, and I think that is just like, but you've got to be open. You've got to, you've got to ask for it, you know, and, 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 and empower people as well to to say, you know, trust them and, 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 and cause that was a massive benefit of all the input that we got at the beginning, just so many countless people putting in time on every different facet of getting going it was, yeah. So just ask for help all the time. <laughs> It's probably mine. Yeah. And I, th I suppose just like have confidence that you can do it, yeah. you know, cause I think there's a definitely, um, uh, a tendency I, I think you know if you're talking to a, like a local council about about um handing over community building or about community asset transfer there's this sort of sense that there it doesn't they don't recognize that there are those expertise within a local community that you would draw on mm. um and you know that, that you are capable of doing a project to a high standard and doing things properly you know it's it's I think there was real surprise for a lot of people when they came into the ballroom and I, I'm not, you know, I think maybe they thought we were just going to have like painted it ourselves and, you know, like done it all, done it ourselves. And it yeah, was kind yeah. of like, oh, it's, a, you've, oh, it's really like, you know, it's, it looks good. It looks really, you know, there's real surprise that it is at the standard it is. And I think it's that recognizing, like you said, that there is expertise in the community um, and you are perfectly capable of doing you know, a project, even a massive project, you know, much bigger than this. I mean, I feel like we are confident about the extension and the basement. Yeah. Um, but, and, and don't lose sight of that as well, you yeah. know, like. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's the thing, I think, you know, is I think that thing of where people, I think having great spaces that you want to be in is has so much community benefit. Just, you know, you come in here and you, instantly feel a bit better about, yeah. about things because you're in a lovely space and we're so lucky to have you know this one building in our so you know i think we should you know feel like we can uh realize the potential of these spaces and not say oh yeah we'll just you know we'll just cut you know we'll just do that and you know cut that corner i think you know that i think it's important that you can say that we've got such a valuable mm -hmm. space here let's do it it's really maximize what we can do with the space yeah Last question. Um, have you got anybody to suggest for High Point, the podcast? Oh, that's a good good question. Um, a place or people? 
Well, I've, um, there's, um, I was just been talking to a group in Ramsbottom, Co-op Hall, and they're trying to do, they, uh, it's a similarly old building, theatre space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in actually in very challenging condition. And they're just on the first steps of the journey of hoping to take it over, do the share offer. So I think it could be interesting to get a, yeah. a view of how, what, you know, at the very early stages of, of a project. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and, it's, and it's quite cool to go and see them and sort of remember what it was like at that time. Because yeah. you sort of forget. Um, so, yeah. Ramsbottom Co-op Hall. Does it have to be local? Do, do it doesn't you just, have to be local. No, I mean one of the, I think one of the places I visited quite early on that was. Quite we might in- go uh, soon to Scotland, then we're going to go to um, Cardiff, uh, mm. the BBC Wales. Great. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not just Manchester. There's an art centre called Trinity Arts in Bristol, um, and oh, that was and I f- and yeah, it was one of the places where I visited early on and felt like this is what I think we want to be trying to do. You know, they'd really, it was a really nice balance of um, uh, protecting this this beautiful building and, uh, but it was really vibrant. There was loads of different groups using it. They have a, an amazing um, program of performers. You know, the, the music offer is um, what we would, I think, probably aspire to, but probably not get our neighbours to agree to. But um, they, yeah, they, they, it's really great space. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I definitely recommend a, a trip there Great. as well. Well, thank you very much. It was really nice. Um, how can we get in touch with you or the hall and support the hall? You got websites. Yeah, the website. Up? You can donate on the website. You can become a member. You can see all our listings and get in touch with us. So, strevpublichall.org.uk. Follow us on and follow us social media. Yeah. Great. Cheers. Thanks, thank Mark. You. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.